0: All right, we'll pretend that didn't happen.
1: Right, yeah, seamless transition.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just cough and then move on to the next (laughs) thing. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Legacy Baseball League podcast. I am here again for the second time in a row with Brendan. Brendan, happy President's Day to you.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to be a Fed. I know you can appreciate that. Oh, yeah. I uh, also appreciate you having me back. Glad I didn't scare you off last time.
1: Yeah, you really improved our ratings, so I figured we'd uh, we'd give it another shot.
0: Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. After the first podcast that you and and michael did i recall you talking about lessons learned from the first time and certain words that you were not going to say having heard yourself say over and over again i think i'm going to go the other direction with it and i'm actually just going to say the word dominant so frequently <laughs> that it just loses all meaning during this podcast it's a, i
1: like i like that angle that's bold um <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so um i uh i'm really excited this time of year um President's Day is great for me because I always get four days off every year for it. But I'm it also I, I really hate February because you're just waiting for spring training to start, and after the Super Bowl, it's just pretty much two weeks wandering in the desert.
0: Yeah, well, pitchers and catchers are reported, and um, I found out that the Orioles will be broadcasting four count them four spring training games on their own owned regional network so my goodness yeah no uh, four of them so you know maybe we'll actually get to uh, see some of their young players play but uh, they made a practical choice to really emphasize the workday afternoon games so oh. it's not like they even uh, even targeted evening games so <laughs> who knows what's going on in the warehouse
1: yeah i um I always get excited for spring training, and then I, that excitement drops when I remember that the Mariners don't even broadcast half their games. Um, but uh, I, I like it, and also the World Baseball Championship. I've never watched it before, but I've committed to um, at least following it this season, so I'm excited for that.
0: I like it. Yeah, you just got to dive in. Pick your uh, pick your team.
1: Right. Yeah, well, you know, enough about fake baseball. We do need to talk about real baseball <laughs> at some point. Um, so... Uh, Today we're going to talk about the Legacy Cup. We're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the upcoming events and votes for summer meetings, and a little bit about the off-season retirements. And if we have time, you know, if we uh, if we feel like climbing up to uh, two hours again, uh, we could talk a little bit about the Negro Leagues and um, the minor leagues. So I figure we'll dive in and talk about the playoffs uh as usual both of us were spot on in our predictions for the postseason and i'm really proud of us
0: yeah we nailed it i don't even really think we have anything else to discuss we just got everything right the last time we talked about it
1: yeah um we really should uh consider working in vegas or maybe you know atlantic city but um, I obviously was horribly wrong again. I got just about every prediction wrong. Uh, but the games, I will say, there were some tight races, especially in the first round.
0: Yeah, I, it was amazing. Both of the first round series went five games. Uh, Brooklyn and Philadelphia were separated by one run in terms of one uh, run differential. Wow. So it was, uh, you know the baseball gods just they didn't smile upon our predictions but we ended up with a great legacy cup and a momentous one mm-hmm. for the 20th century uh. Uh, with the western league finally punching through on uh, i think twin cities was it's their sixth sixth attempt so wow um yeah, big, big things happening in 1906.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really agree. I enjoyed the series a lot. Uh, I actually ended up having some time in the first round and wrote way too much about about uh, a 10-minute period of one of the games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it was fun. I had a really good time. I liked all the teams. Um, I was very satisfied. Uh, looking at Brooklyn versus Philly specifically, I covered these first couple games in detail, but the bottom line of game one, uh, Lionel Lion tried to steal home in the bottom of the ninth, <laughs> which I just thought was awesome um, as a backup guy um, to the injured Leo. And uh, that that sort of cost the game for Philly. Uh, and Walter Fane pitched a couple of gems, but that was, a, that was a good day for Walter Fain.
0: Yeah, I you have to admire somebody that, is trying to seize the brass ring. He knows Leo McKenzie's <laughs> going to be back next year. Why not be a legend, right? So <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I respect the the attitude there, and uh, he had a good season. So if yeah. he had done it, I mean, I don't think they would ever stop talking about him in Philadelphia.
1: No, yeah, it would make the bench a little more difficult next year. But um, I uh, I enjoyed it a lot. It was fun to watch those replays. Uh, looking at, at Game Two uh, when Brooklyn jumped ahead uh as as you know tinker taylor fumbled on a routine grounder to score um uh, the winning run uh eddie bankhead pinched for ray faulkner and philly took game two uh so game three was tied uh and it was tied 1-1 heading into the ninth and uh, Jackie Priest gave up a single to Robert Dibb. This was an interesting... I, wa- I wanted to talk to you about this. I don't know how closely you followed the game log for Game 3, but I was reviewing it, and a uh, very eccentric manager of yours uh, had two intentional walks that inning, including one to load the bases. I thought that was, was pretty interesting.
0: I will admit that I didn't see it in the game logs. I will have to go back. It's uh, The playoffs always strike me as... An interesting time because I am very diligently set my individual player sliders and um, um, try and affect whatever team strategy I can. And then it seems like every year the playoffs roll around and uh, Williams is calling for sacrifice bunts and <laughs> <laughs> double steals, intentional walks. So he's starting Pappy Webb who hasn't started a game all year and <laughs> do or die situation. So I don't know. He gets a little schizophrenic in the playoffs, I guess, but that's what makes him one of the greats. Yeah. I
1: I, 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 have noticed that too. And, and I haven't really decided if that's because I pay more attention in the postseason or if there really is a difference. Um, but I was trying to look at Marquez's Williams, uh, personality cause I'm curious, um, Let's see here. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Marquez Williams. He um well, no, he's uh he's fairly normal. Yeah. He's conventional. So I I'm, I'm, I don't um other than super favoring hitting. He's a conventional management style. Um but uh it was definitely not conventional in the playoffs, that's for sure. But uh, So walking through this moment, because it was a really interesting moment. I think it was decisive, and, and it's huge. Uh, whoever wins games three goes up. Um, Jackie Priest, uh, he's in his second inning of relief, and he gives up a, a leadoff single to Robert Dibb. And Dibb is like the uh, pinch hitter of the LBL. Uh, he only had 77 at-bats, had a 3-2-5 average. Um, really good utility guy, just has had good pinch hits all season and postseason uh millington bunted to advance him and then uh brooklyn decides to walk enrique johnson and pinch most rylance for dip both of which are sound decisions you know enrique johnson um he's been hitting hot so they 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 walk him Unfortunately, George Singleton doubles and then Faulkner comes up and they walk him too to the low of the bases. And uh, and then, of course, there was a, an outfield single to bring the score, really pr- break it open in the ninth. So really interesting strategy. I think um, I don't know if I've seen two intentional walks uh, in the same inning in the playoffs before.
0: Yeah, I can't recall a time that that has ever happened, but I guess it makes some sense. Right. Enrique Johnson was the. Eastern League MVP. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you show him a little bit of respect, and then you set up a... Well, I guess, how many outs were there? No outs? But there was <laughs> one, one out, yeah. Mm-hmm. One out? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all right, never mind. He was like, all right, well, you set up a four, in season base. Yeah. Yeah, all right, well, I don't get that one, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, good. Good for Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, you never know. And and uh, if I recall too, uh, Priest, who's a good pitcher, had had sort of a rough go in the postseason this year.
0: Yeah, I um, I had set up the roster for the postseason so that Wallet would pitch opposite Fane and go with the two-man rotation, mm-hmm. and then the idea was, well, we'll get Priest and we'll get. Um, Benny out of the bullpen and neither one really performed well out of the pen maybe it was the change in role um, but you know Philadelphia is just a good team so uh, yeah. it didn't didn't quite work out while it pitched pretty well I probably shouldn't have put such a short leash on him
1: I, I think it was a good strategy and we talked about exploring relief strategies so that was a good combination and um, you know it, it, with Priest not having a lot of opportunity and sometimes inheriting runners I think that um, can sort of cloud the situation a little bit. But um, I, I liked it. I liked the strategy. I, I, I continue to enjoy seeing people experiment with uh, with relievers as we continue down into dead ball. Um, but in any case, you did tie it back up, which I thought was awesome. Uh, tied it up 2-2. Um, and uh, Jackie Priest, and well, Clifford Wallet and Priest together pitched a two-hit shutout. So that's an example of that working pretty well.
0: Yeah, I like I said the total separation between the two teams in the end was only one run. Yeah. Um <laughs> you know, it was just a, a tails you lose situation, but um I feel pretty confident with uh, what the lessons learned from this year and the lessons learned in the playoffs that I feel like, you know, it's an iterative process. Unfortunately, (laughs) I've had five iterative (laughs) opportunities (laughs) against Philadelphia, and uh, not many of them have gone Brooklyn's way. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I learned from this series was I think I'm on the right track with the roster. You know, Philadelphia didn't have... McKenzie this year, which obviously is a difference maker in a short series, yeah. but um, you know just the fact that each game was so close. I think the biggest spread in any of the five games was two runs. You know that's yep. a situation where it, you know it could go either way.
1: Yeah, and it, and those those differences came in very brief moments every time too. So um, I think uh, there was a little bit of an anticlimax in Game Five. Uh, it was still a close game. Um, but there just wasn't any scoring after the sixth inning. Uh, I would I would fully agree. I, I think that this was two super evenly matched teams, and it was just down to chance, like you said. A one di- uh, run differential split is nuts, and really indicative of a of an awesome matchup. So um, I, I appreciated that I went to five games. Uh, Martin rudely won, which was not anticipated by me. Um, <laughs> but um, if, if they can do it in a Leo off year, then it just makes it even more annoying next year. Um, so well fought. Uh, that was a great series. You pan over to Cleveland and Twin Cities. This is a great series too. Um, I spent way too much time breaking down Game One, uh, but the, the bottom line is constant pain. I got injured in a pinch runner mishap, when they didn't have any pinchers pinch runners left, so they put um, they put James Beverly on base, who cannot run, and he he tried to get two bags on a hit and got thrown out which was which was pretty decisive in in extra innings and um so it's a cautionary tale about uh going all in on pinch hitters in the eighth and the ninth
0: well i mean similar to the lionel lion situation right you come off the bench you got the juices (laughs) flowing you think you're a little bit faster than you are (laughs) you (laughs) just just start running yeah yeah yeah. yeah. No, that, uh, that one did seem decisive. I mean, um, and then constant pain was <laughs> to his namesake, uh, day to day for the rest of the series, as I recall, That's right. So, yep. uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, an- again, another super close series out West between two pretty evenly matched teams. So could very well be that that was a decisive turn in the fortunes of both franchises.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had pointed out, too, it was really interesting that moment with with Roger Watson, their catcher, uh, and, uh, against Marion Chataway. And, it, and if I recall, I'll have to go back in the logs, but um, so obviously Marion Chataway got traded for Ralph Bennett to move salary around between Richmond uh, and Twin Cities. And uh, I think that was in 1901. So uh, Marion Chataway you know, sealed in a good, a good portion of Twin Cities' salary to make room for Uh, Chataway on the roster, one of the people Max ended up releasing was Roger Watson. And so twice, not once, but twice, Roger Watson overthrows third base trying to throw out Marion Chataway.
0: (laughs) He scores. He scores. Yeah. So it was pretty rough. You can't make it up. (laughs) That's one of the, the beautiful things about baseball and then, you know, the Legacy Baseball League in particular here is just these storylines organically bubbling up and uh, when we've got 16 eyes on it it's uh, much easier to catch them as they as they emerge I really enjoyed your your write up on the constant pain <laughs> 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 uh, pinthro fiasco because yeah. I will admit when I looked at the game logs I was like well this is a bit of a galaxy brain strategy <laughs> but um, yeah. it didn't did make more sense once you once you did the deep dive but yeah it's uh it's just amazing how often things like this seem to come to the fore um yeah season after season
1: yeah yeah just like you said that's a that's kind of a special um part of of our league in particular is is finding those stories and exaggerating them uh in fiction uh twin cities cleveland great series the only other thing i'll note um is i thought it, I, was, I was shocked um and i don't know looking at his ratings but certainly my opinion of the guy the three errors in game 2 by rocky poss on the hot corner
0: yeah, I don't. I've it's just something anecdotal that I've noticed. It seems like there are just a ton of errors being committed at third base in our league, and yeah. I I couldn't tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something that you know, because I, I and maybe it's just um unique to the to Brooklyn, but uh, I usually try and have a really good glove over there, and uh, every year I tear my hair out like, okay, well, why did we commit 85 errors? <laughs> you know, <in laughs> right? Yeah, case, what what. What is going on over there? So, um, yeah, maybe it was just an off day for the uh, Twin City veteran, but he's always been one of my favorite players on Max's roster. Yeah, started as a five-tool guy, which is interesting for a third baseman.
1: Yeah, uh, I've always liked him. And he came over from uh, the Beavers, didn't he? Uh,
0: I think he has always been on Twin City, but I could be wrong. The trade that I remember from Twin City was – Burley Loving, Lovenberry. Lovenberry, um, that's right, yeah. Or uh, Nate Larrabee, who had, uh, <laughs> I think, some some postseason heroics for Twin Cities back in... Uh, I recall that. 19,
1: 1901,
0: 1902, mm-hmm. whenever that trade happened.
1: And you are right. Rocky Poss has always been uh, uh, with the Empire. He's a 95er as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, in regards to errors, I, I, I know that the the baseline error setting is much higher for the league based on the historic averages um and i imagine there's just some confusion with the game between achieving those mathematical baselines based on the ratings of the of the player and it results in too many would be my guess but it's hard the mechanics of this game the clockwork is so weird um and and so i also just kind of have to embrace errors where they shouldn't be and where they should be because a lot of my fielders just suck
0: that's true. If anyone has developed a fine appreciation for heirs, it would be the, uh, the manager of the <laughs> Richmond Rifles.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're trying to fix it, but oh my goodness, it's, uh, it's abysmal. Um, so uh, we go to the, we go to the Legacy Cup, you know the, the old rivals, Twin Cities in Philadelphia. Um,
0: yeah, so we didn't have a chance to discuss this uh, about who we thought was going to win. At the right. start of the series, because right? <laughs> right, our <yeah>. predictions were <laughs> both totally mistaken. Mm-hmm. Where was your head at the beginning of this series between Philadelphia and Twin City?
1: Oh, I think I was with Philly for sure.
0: Yeah, I think I was as well. I, I know I mentioned on the last one that hey, this feels like the Western League's year. But yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, Philly was going for three in a row. He can't, he can't. Uh, predict against that I think so uh, I think we would have gotten that one wrong as well in hindsight <laughs> yep, but I, uh, I was of a similar mind
1: yeah I, I, I know I would have um, I thought Philly had it for sure nothing against Twin Cities just Philly has such a powerful roster and they'd started off really well I think they won yeah, 6-2 in the first game with 13 hits um, they, uh, they just lit up Pierce Adney uh, who had the worst pitching score of any starter in the postseason that game of 33, his game score, um, five earned runs, 13 hits, uh, and they they kept him in. And uh, in, inversely, Lambert Holmes pitched pretty well, but it was a, it was a good start. You know, I kind of after the first, I saw the first game simulate. I'm like, okay, yeah, here we go. Um, and then the next two, a close game, uh, two close games. Uh, the next game was a 3-4 loss uh, by or, or over the Brewers and then the the what has to be the record for the most innings in a postseason game, the 16 inning fiasco uh, that uh, Twin Cities ended up taking two to three,
0: yeah, that one I think was the backbreaker. Um, should we touch briefly on the rumors and swirling allegations around the masked hoodlums that prevented the <laughs> Philadelphia roster change um yeah, <laughs> so for, for context, Alfred Gilling, star second baseman for Philadelphia, got injured in the League Cup against Brooklyn. Um, I believe running the bases, but you can correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, that's and right. so he was scheduled to miss the Legacy Cup as a result of his injury. And so per league rules, uh the Teams. Each team is supposed to submit their final rosters for the League, uh, for the Legacy Cup, uh, by a, a date certain and a time certain. Well, there was uh, an individual in the employ of Philadelphia <laughs> who was a bit of a procrastinator, as it turns out. And uh, on his way to turn in his final roster sheet to the League office, there were some Individuals of a unfriendly persuasion uh, <laughs> with a uh, foreign accent that was uh, unknown to this poor individual from Philadelphia. Um, we we can't say whether or not it was Minnesotan, uh, but <laughs> it certainly <laughs> seems to have a certain Midwestern flair to it. Um, and uh, as a result, the, the roster was not submitted and, uh, Poor injured Alfred Gilling had to remain on the Legacy Cup roster, and uh, Philadelphia played a man down.
1: Yeah, um, it's uh, it's a mystery. There's no way to know how it happened, um, but uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was rough. And, and what it actually was was uh, Martin asking me to do it and me forgetting. So. Um... <laughs> So Martin was very graceful in his uh, fictionalizing of that tale. Um, I set his his lineups for him, and it was like um, his his seven days, and then at the end it was, oh, and and, and, uh, take off gilling. And I forgot to do that part, (laughs) so apologies (laughs) to Martin. Um, It was sort of a last-second thing, and and I completely forgot. So luckily it was handled with complete grace. Um, And, uh, you know, the... It is what it is, but it's just—it's another funny thing about uh, commissioning in this league. Sometimes the stakes are very high when there are
0: last-minute requests. a so lesson learned. Yeah, yeah, and odds are we will not get it right. <laughs> like I like to say, you get the service that you pay for. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and on that
1: note, we are taking donations. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was that was a fun way to fictionalize an oops uh, by by the commissioner, uh, which I appreciated. Um, but anyway so the moving on this this 16 inning game uh, was was a lot of fun. One thing I just want to point out for Twin Cities Ernesto Davis pitched 13 innings. Um and it had 161 pitches uh which I thought was just amazing only two earned runs.
0: I think mean, he uh, earned his paycheck that day I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah the um the pitch totals uh throughout I mean this is a I think the stakes couldn't be higher. <laughs> right, yeah. and You're just going to leave him out there for something that, I mean, what is that in today's MLB? Two two starts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. Um, and, you know, what's crazy is Millington did even better. Uh, he pitched 15 innings with uh, two earned runs, um, 177 pitches before they finally put Edg- Edgerton in to close it out. So um, and this was the hey, highest pitching picturing- score. Oops, sorry, I'm
0: picturing ahead. two guys deliriously wandering off the mounds, being steered by their teammates back to their dugout, <laughs> un- uncertain even where they stand. Yeah, and, uh... <laughs> just wild.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can imagine that it's you know going late into the evening. Um, you know, it's uh, people are asleep in the outfield and. Um, it, it it was fun. This this was the highest game score of uh, the postseason uh, with Millington at eighty eight, which I, it was. It was so. It's obviously just an amazing game.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you know a a testament to both of their competitive streaks that that uh, they kept talking to their manager into putting them back out there. So <laughs> yeah, um, just uh, just amazing.
1: Yeah, the uh, after that it got a little less consistent uh, for the legacy cup. Close game, uh, another close game the next night uh, in Twin Cities. Uh, Philly had a six to seven loss, and then they go back into the People's Park of Minnesota the next day and they win nine to one, which was amazing. Uh, and then they go back the next day and they lose three to eight. So it was just kind of all over the place after that. Um, I feel like after that sixteen inning showdown. Um, It just sort of lost some consistency in how close it was. And then uh, they won again on the 6th at home, but then um, with the series on the line, they ended up getting shut out by Twin Cities to close out and the well-overdue victory for the Western League.
0: Yeah, it it feels gross to say, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You can be honest.
1: I'm still not. I think, (laughs) yeah, I'm still pretty locked into the early stages of grief on it. I'm sure with some time and counseling, I'll get over it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess if I'm being honest, I'm willing to give them one out of every seven. That seems like a fair, a fair trade. <laughs> but um, for now, yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't doesn't roll off the tongue quite right. Yeah. Um, so you have obviously spent a lot of time on all the micro and macro level of this uh, set of playoff series. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's any takeaways for GMs? You know, having reviewed this, that they can learn from for next year, or any themes or trends that you picked up on that you think are particularly noteworthy.
1: I think that's a really good question. Um, uh, in terms of of trends, uh, there was a lot of small ball when you get these teams who have such good defense and the scoring is so close. Um, I, I think taking steps to manually prevent overzealous pinch hitting. In the late part of the game, by um, by disallowing it in player strategy, maybe a feasible option. I, I feel like there were a lot of key moments that were really blunted by a nonstop bunting regimen <laughs> for like three batters in a row uh, that, that that didn't work out. So um, I, I think maybe that could uh, could help. Um, I, I I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, despite you losing the series, I think. Pitching matchups, specifically right versus left, are clever, especially since a lot of GMs are setting their seven days. Um, And uh, you do a pitch count on a right-handed pitcher, for example, and then switch to a lefty after 85 pitches, you're going to have an advantage on the back end of the game. So those are two things I thought about as I watched the series unfold.
0: No, I think that makes sense. I think my takeaways were more macro level. I don't know that there's anything specific to take away from twin city prevailing from the tournament but i i think the composition of each of the four teams was very similar mm. across the board i think um each team had pretty strong defense at center field and in shortstop uh, interestingly enough i think um twin city might have actually had the the weakest defense at shortstop mm-hmm. um not that it prevented the the championship but um you know and everyone had good pitching with a focus on control um which i know are, are themes that we've talked about yeah in the past both on on the slag and, and you and michael have discussed it on the podcast but um you know i just it struck me that each team was kind of just a mere mere image of of the other three in that regard
1: yeah i, I think that's a really good point because obviously for the whole season given that they're the postseason teams we've talked about defense up the middle um I really think that 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 is going to become more and more of a focus for everyone. In fact, I think for most teams, it already is. That's just, you know, not enough capital to go around. Um, I think now you're going to see some, some premiums rise at third base. Um, I think corner outfield is going to become more important, uh, particularly right field. And um, I think you're going to be, you're going to have to find edges where you can, as the dynamic of offense continues to shift uh, like you talked about putting balls on the ground more means you need better defense, or the team's going to get on base and score more. So um, it's a, it's a changing LBL, and we all have to ad- adapt or die.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess we all better get used to two to one, two to one wins. And start looking for a bunt for hits, I guess, in, uh, <laughs> in the draft.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I was. I was trying to look at some of the trends on like what ty- types of pitchers did well, who did well, um, and uh, I'm trying to think of who who I thought the best pitcher of the postseason was. I think it depends on if you go all the way to the end of the Legacy Cup or not. But if you if you are counting just our two championship teams, I think Gordon Mad- Maddox stands out pretty clearly as the the prime pitcher of the postseason.
0: And he is very much a—is he a ground baller? I know he's a control guy with low stuff. Uh, he's a finesse he pitcher. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. He's thirty-eight. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I remember when he came over from the Beavers. That was another of the uh, the Twin City Beaver swap from uh, right in that '01 through '03 period. There were there were quite a few of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's uh, very much at the end of his career, uh, but probably it's amazing that somebody with this low stuff, you know, did so well His his regular season was, was also very good. Um, his, uh, he's, he was aided by a very good defense. So his FIPs a little higher, but um, you know, by all means a 4.6 war season, he did well. Um, and he has superior movement and superior control. Um, he's a total asshole uh, according to his personality, um, but interesting guy. And, and, you know, 42 innings pitched uh FIP of point one one ERA one point two eight. Um and uh batters hitting just two twenty five against them all postseason. So um I, I think for me that stands out as the most and I think Steven Millington was pretty close on his heels along with Lambert Holmes.
0: Yeah, well all guys towards the uh the tail end of their careers. So yeah. I don't know, maybe uh maybe they felt the door closing and felt this was the last chance. We'll, uh, we'll have to see how that plays out in 07.
1: Yeah, I agree. I uh, I kind of had a collect – there was sort of a league collective um, sigh after the retirement list came out. I thought a lot more of the stars were going to retire this year, so I'm glad some of them are hanging on.
0: Yeah, uh, there's um, quite a few that are getting up there in age. Um, you know, <laughs> I think maybe the Beavers are particularly – well, I don't know if they're happy or not. Um, but uh, you know, since their roster is probably half 1895 or they were, um, standing on knife's edge, I'm sure. So,
1: yeah, um, and, and speaking of that, um, I think uh, we can talk a little bit about retirements before we go into summer meetings. Uh, we'll, we'll put a, to put a cap on the Legacy Cup. I think, um, well deserved win by Max and Twin Cities. Um, like you said, I'm okay with a Western League win on about a seven or eight year cycle if we can just keep it at that. Um that's feasible
0: to me. And... Yeah. I mean we 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 don't want him to get greedy, right? No.
1: <laughs> exactly. But but moving on, retirements. This is something I always wish I would remember to talk about on podcasts, so I'm glad we're doing it. Um we had talked, I think, about Micah Weaver being the uh the head of this class, right?
0: Yeah, he, um, I think he's the second number to be retired in LBL history. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, probably underappreciated in his career. I think the, the real peak of it had come and gone by 1901, which was really when we started to fill up from a human GM perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think... His star probably didn't burn as brightly as it otherwise would have if his peak was, you know, if it started in 1901 rather than ended. Yeah. Um, But a a consistently good pitcher for Baltimore from 1895 to 1901. A real workhorse, usually towards the top of the league leaderboard in games pitched and innings pitched. Um, You know, and he was always above average. I think his first below average year looked like it came in 1902 um and then obviously he hung on for a couple more years but uh, i think a, a well-deserved number retirement he as far as i can remember has always been sort of the face of baltimore pitching yep. you know they've got a couple of younger guys now and ralph hall and general glenn um and uh sherwood cattle but uh michael weaver was always a guy that i thought of when i um I looked at Baltimore's rotation, so and um, with the shipping off of Phil Winters to St. Louis, I think he was kind of the um, bridge from the origins of the Clippers to uh, to present day. So something for fans to look back on fondly um, from uh, from the early years of Baltimore.
1: Yeah, I think that was great. Uh, Absolutely uh, wonderful summary of Micah Weaver. I've always really liked him. Um, He's, like you said, he's one of the names that I think think of when I think of Baltimore. Um, And uh, I also think you're correct in that. He's a little underserved, um, given that when we – the way that we started this game when the players from 1895 came on is I had simulated baseball – from the 1860s to the to 1895 so um then i erased all the stats and all player history so um there we'll never know how they did uh the only way to really tell is if you look at their major service time or uh, their player service time you'll see that it's it may go beyond 1895 and if it does they're one of those players and that was to generate a more realistic dispersion of talent so um yeah hats off i think easily the top of this class but there are a couple others i want to talk about because for me one of the first names in the lbl that stood out to me when i generated this this uh group of players is Vic kilgo who retired at 41 this year
0: yeah although his uh time in the lbl continues but um yeah yeah so i guess to to recap for uh (laughs) uh the nerds that aren't quite as nerdy as you and i um (laughs) So Providence started the LBL as the clear, um, I'm just going to say, a dominant team in the (laughs) uh, Ivy Division. And uh, they routinely faced off with Philadelphia in the playoffs. They never quite got over the hump. Maybe they did make one Legacy Cup. I can't quite recall. Um, But uh, a big part of their identity early was uh, the pitching of Joseph Benson. And then um, on offense – There was a clear standout in Vic Kilgill, who was their center fielder for a long time. More recently, he's been more of a platoon corner guy, um, but still pretty effective even late in his career as he um, got into his late 30s. And uh, even it was really only last year that he seemed to fall off entirely. Um, But a a great name and uh, a pretty good career, not certainly someone that will be found towards the top of any leader boards, but, uh, I think he accumulated something like 15 war over the course of his career, which is a nice little player, given that, um, he was already on the older side by 1895.
1: Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I think this is probably one of the best players you'll find without, uh, without any hardware to show for it in the LBL. Um, has never won any of the uh, end of the year awards, but has consistently been uh, above a hundred ops plus in every season, but his last. So uh, a, a huge cornerstone for, um, uh, for the organization and a, a constant pain of Richmond every time we played him. Um, and one of the first good lefties. Uh, so I was sort of sad to see him go, go um, also happy that we don't have to face him anymore. Um, and, uh, I'm looking. There was a. I think there was another. I think Benson retired this year too, didn't he? Uh
0: I thought he retired last yeah, year. I think there he was, did. Um, yeah, there was. Yeah, uh, there were a few others that stood out to me. Um, I guess I will. Just say that you will still have to see Vic Kilgo. He is now the bench coach in Brooklyn, so he'll uh, he'll still make his trips down to Richmond. <laughs> um, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so you're not not quite free of him yet. Um, so there was uh, Jesse Sterling, who was a, a pretty good offensive catcher for Pittsburgh. Um, never a uh, All Star or superstar, but a consistent two win player for most of his. 30s in pittsburgh um mm-hmm. you know he uh he fell off in 1904 and that was kind of the last that we heard of him so i think this retirement has been a long time coming but um you know he was a a serviceable backstop in the frontier league for uh it looks like the better part of five five seasons in his 30s and um you know at the start of his career in 1895 as well
1: yeah i tried to trade for sterling a couple times um if I recall, I also noted Sterling with a lot of catchers left this year. Uh, and I think he was probably the most notable of the catchers heading out in 1906. Um, another name that I noted that I, for some reason, have always remembered is Bobby Sharon. And I think that's because uh, he he was really good in the first couple of years. Yeah, 1896, he had a really good... That's what it was. I, yeah, he was the 1896 Legacy Cup MVP um, for the Doves, and then he had a long career with the Doves after that. Never really came back to those numbers, um, but uh, he was a good center fielder for the Doves for a long time. Uh, and uh, another Garrett Dutler, he played for Richmond for a year. Um, he was part of a trade with our uh, our favorite trading partner, partner uh, <laughs> Michael, um, and uh, we didn't end up holding on to him for too long but we traded him over for Elroy Eddowes because we needed a third baseman backup. And, uh, well,
0: and, uh, Eddowes would then reemerge several years later. In uh, I think he won the Lord Cup up. in the Western League. If not, he was uh, a, uh, a close second behind the Detroit shortstop Earl That's right. Um mm-hmm. So one thing I, I do want to correct is Joseph Benson did retire. I had the wrong... <laughs> the wrong picture. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking John Griffith. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because Benson Justin, was the Doves, right? Yeah. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was the Doves, and he also had his number retired, number five mm. for the Doves. So, well deserved.
1: Yeah. Okay. That that makes more sense. Um. Uh. Because he's way up there. Um. Yeah. And. Benson, um, I, I didn't, obviously, being in the, over in the Liberty, We didn't, I didn't have to study him as much, but uh, 95 er played for the Doves his whole career. Um, managed to accumulate about 36 and a half war. Uh, never won any awards, um, but was consistently a solid pitcher uh, for the Doves. And I would like to see uh, some pitching coaching in his future because I think he would be a nice addition to the personnel
0: he must have some secrets because he did it all at five foot four so (laughs) it's uh it's hard to be i think (laughs) that consistently good for that long when you when you're working with a five foot four reach off of the mound so he uh (laughs) he must know something yeah
1: uh he uh he's been ejected more than once too so i think uh i think we have a little bit of maybe napoleon complex going on <laughs> uh, but uh yeah i it was it was notable for me to see him go um there were a couple more i think oh joe cherry yeah after, I, I thought it was really nice after the great uh short story you wrote with joe cherry which, which was just i think the best title of the year by the way well done <laughs> um,
0: thank you yeah uh he was a guy that was on the early Brooklyn teams and I always liked him. And then I would routinely see him in free agency. He caught on with Cleveland very briefly after I, um, did some reshuffling back in, in 1902 or 1903. Yeah. And, uh, I was always tempted to pick him up. And then this year I was like, okay, we've got John Keith going out to St. Louis. He was a little bit redundant with, um, what my plans were for the roster. So, um, like, okay, well we'll pick up Cherry for one more ride and uh <laughs> I never expected that he would hit and he certainly didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he still he still produced positive value with his glove at 39 which I was impressed by. So Yeah. He uh I looked for his name in the personnel. He isn't there yet. Maybe he'll get added to a future pool, but I always liked him as a player.
1: Yeah, we could always force him. You no, know, but uh but I I like him a lot too. Cherry was always um uh, inside of my filter of infielders when I would filter out people in free agency and always right on the cusp of me. And I think I did throw him an offer once or twice. Um, but uh, I know we discussed it. I think there were discussions of a cherry trade at some point. But um, but he never made it over to the Richmond Red, which uh, is disappointing because, you, like you said, he consistently had uh, pretty good defensive stats.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he was a, a cornerstone of the early Wales championships in uh, you know, at the beginning of the, of the century. So mm-hmm. um, he, uh, he earned a, a lucrative retirement this year, a nice little send off and um, you know, we wish him luck from Brooklyn.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and said, I
1: think I'm going to, I'm going to scan him really quick to make sure I'm not a liar. Um, uh, I th- I think that's all of uh, of the notable ones that, I, well, the the the, re, the tri- retirees that I wrote down. Just besides uh, Lester Kenworthy, um, who I uh, seriously tried to sign in 1904, and I think you got him. And I, the only reason I wrote it down is because I love his nickname. It's the Skull.
0: It is definitely intense. Yep, he uh, must be just a horrible person to be around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. He, uh, he didn't last long in Brooklyn. There was, um, he just, I think he tanked immediately from the beginning in his ratings. He was an older free agent yeah. and then, uh, he just kind of bounced around in the minors, I think until, uh, until he finally hung it up, which is too bad. And there was uh, a couple of other guys that would sort of fit the same mold. There was, um, Bart Mason, who was a big signing for the Beavers and then suffered a similar fate on the older side of, uh, the free agent class. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he was signed with the intention that he would hit at first base. And, uh, I think his ratings tanked immediately mm-hmm. and, uh, he never really, really stuck around. Um, the only other guy that stood out to me was, um, so there was Dewey Aitken who was a longtime corner outfielder for the Kings. Yeah. Not really noteworthy, but you know, to start for four or five seasons, you can't be too bad. And then, um, The other guy was uh, Ross Ramston, who was a Philadelphia similar corner outfielder for the better part of five seasons. Always a pretty good bat, with the exception of 1904. But he was routinely in the 120 or above OPS plus range. Um, So good situational hitter, switch hitter uh, for Philadelphia. He won a uh, grand snagger at some point and uh, got himself a ring. So... Um, also a uh, a fine career that uh, you know had to end, I guess, because he hasn't been in the league for <laughs> two years. But <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he was good while he was there.
1: Yep, yeah, I, I recognize both Aitken and Ramsden as I went through the list as well. Um, so uh, you know, Bon Voyage to the retirement class of nineteen oh six. Uh, I am I'm getting more and more nervous every year that all these names I've grown accustomed to are going to start uh, mass migrating out of the league. Um but uh we'll, we'll see.
0: They're just waiting for a call from uh, from Richmond I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
1: Yep. Um whatever brings the fans in at Libby Hill, we got to we got to get money where we can. Um and speaking of money, um, I, I think uh, we, we should
0: segue now
1: uh, to discuss briefly some uh, overview and thoughts on the three proposals due for summer meetings this year.
0: That sounds good to me.
1: OK, so uh, I think most are familiar by now. We, we have to keep changing the name of them as we change the amount of games in the season. But what was originally winter meetings that became summer meetings is now pretty much fall meetings. it it is our meetings time where we all get together live on the slack and we, we we talk about the updates for the upcoming couple of seasons um make some announcements but the main thing that we do the most important thing is uh exercise our right as gms to vote on changes to the league and the league file uh and we only do it every two seasons uh for the sake of the sanity of the commissioner um so there are only three proposals on the table for, for this uh, upcoming summer meetings here on Sunday. Um, the first one that I'll... Well, we'll talk about the controversial one last, well, the most controversial one. The first one that we'll talk about is the um, uh, the administrative change, and that is the movement to Discord.
0: Yeah, I know that this has been on your list for... number of seasons now i am uh (laughs) not a technophile i don't know how anything (laughs) works um so you assure me that it is basically the same or better um and uh, i do have a discord account which is how we are talking right now so i'm already set and ready to go um you know to me i think it makes sense um we do lose a lot of our messages over time in uh, in Slack. They put them behind a paywall. And, uh, you know, I think that there are some things that I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back and search and find, including uh, from the first foray into the LBL. I still have that uh, Slack membership, although now there's nothing there because it's been so long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it would be nice to have some of those early messages and uh, early short stories that we no longer have access to. And if Discord allows for a more robust archive. I think uh, that's the way that I'm leading personally.
1: Yeah. Um, I think those are all good points. And it's true that um, that the, the nature of Slack is it's not really designed for out-of-the-park baseball GMs. It's more of a workspace uh, organiza- organizational uh, application. So, they paywall uh originally it was 10 megabytes or something like that and now it's 90 days anything older than 90 days they paywall and then the paywall is pretty significant it's like something like 12 dollars per member of the workspace um and i think it's important to understand sort of the the history of, of how gms have communicated with out of the park too which for the first i don't know 15 years was forums um the the old school forums that that most of us are familiar with, the the, the text-based post forums. Well, those aren't really convenient for live conversations. And so with the rise of instant messaging as the the default application for internet um, communication, Slack appeared, and then uh, that was for the professional workspace, and Discord appeared for gaming. Uh, and the two are very, very similar. Um, I prefer Slack just because that's how I started in uh, Out of the Park Online uh, in PIBA and it's more, it's sort of my home. It's like my home stadium is Slack when it comes to instant messaging. But Discord is very much the same. It's easy to use. Um, If we do get it approved by the GMs, we will publish uh, a a PDF with exactly how to set it up, and the board uh, will be standing by to help onboard you. It's as simple if you don't have an account as linking it to your email and confirming. And you don't need to download anything. You can do it on a browser. Um, And uh, one of the benefits of Discord, other than no paywall, is the ability to assign roles um, to communicate specifically with the Eastern League, the Western League, or um, uh, the ability to break up the rooms a little more logically, Um, the the subdivision of of forums and Slack is a little odd. Um, and uh, that's that's basically it. Uh, Discord is sort of uh, replacing Slack as the most common medium. And a lot of leagues that have been around for a long time, like Monty Brewster, already use it. Um, so anyway, that's my spiel on Discord. I think it's a good idea. I think it's better for the league. I think it's going to allow us to preserve our history better um, without breaking the, the bank. So Uh, That's my spiel. Uh, I hope you vote for it. And if not, we'll stay on Slack.
0: Yeah, I will also just throw out one more sort of behind the scenes consideration. Um, So every week, in fact, tomorrow is the day, uh, I update all of our recruitment posts. One of the places that I try and do that is on the official OOTP Discord Mm -hmm. uh, channel. And, uh, you know, I've noticed that primarily now the expected medium seems to be discord and uh, you know from a recruitment perspective it makes sense to post in a discord from a league that has a discord as a home because then potential new members don't have to uh, migrate to a different app in order to uh, to join the league so mm, I think it makes some sense from an efficiency standpoint going forward um, at least in our recruitment efforts as well
1: I think that's a great point. That's one I hadn't thought of, actually. Um, uh, and then I think a, a final thing I'll say is for those concerned about webhooks, where like, you know, the st- st- uh, Stats Plus will communicate with Slack to tell us when the leak file updates, um, the the same webhooks are available in Discord. So that's as simple as me just linking it to Discord instead of the Slack. Um, so, so that's Discord. Um, the next one, uh, this is another one that I wrote on behalf of our commissioner. He is fulfilling one of his campaign promises, uh, and that is in the form of a significant uh, salary baseline increase to reserve-era arbitration.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, from a role-playing perspective, probably not going to be a popular proposal uh, Mm -hmm. among the GMs, right? Why (laughs) would you pay more for a service you're already getting? Um, But, you know, I think it makes A lot of sense from a structural standpoint for the league i think um you know we've talked about um in the slack and um at various points on uh on these podcasts that there are some financial quirks that we're still trying to iron out that uh got away from us in the early part of the lbl just not expecting that the financials of a fictional historical league would get so strange so quickly yeah um and it wasn't really anything that we could test ahead of time because it's much easier to spot problems when 16 people are trying to break something than uh, <laughs> yeah. than you and I sitting around. Um, and so as a result, you know, we're starting to finally, I think, get our arms around the financials to make it so that there are difficult decisions that need to be made. I think we're still a couple years away from getting to a place where there are sort of material significant decisions that need to be made from a roster building standpoint. But I think this is a tool to get us closer to that point. We've got a salary cap in place. We've got budgets coming down. So I think what you need to do just logically would be to increase sort of the floor of costs so that it gets closer to the ceiling so that people or teams cannot, um, hoard superstars, a whole lineup of superstars for their entire career without ever really bumping up against any sort of financial constraints. And so I would anticipate that this is probably not the last time that there's a proposed increase from the union. But I think from a competitive standpoint, it makes a lot of sense for the, the league to move in this direction.
1: Yeah, it's an apt summary. It's exactly right. Is uh, inserting ways to um, provide challenging decisions to GM that are immersive, that adv- advance the storyline. And there's really no wrong answer. You know, if this, if, if this proposal gets rejected, there's no threat to the immersivity of the league file. Um, I think we do have to continue to ensure as a board, we're providing a realistic and complex approach to finances, but th- this is a simpler era in terms of uh, league finances. Uh, one thing I will note, though, in order to help insert some some immersivity and complication, uh, your your uh, AAA manager, the president of the players union, has already uh, announced that those GMs that do not vote yes on this proposal will have their union players strike next season.
0: Yeah, and this has come into play in the past. Yeah. Um, there was... A player who is, uh, I believe, now a base coach. I believe yep. that's where Jesse Smith landed. And I saw um, Mr. X. Yep. <laughs> but for, yeah, Mr. X, a uh, former player for Twin City. Uh, Twin City voted against a previous proposal that the union threatened a strike against. And uh, so Jesse Smith, sticking to his union bona fides, said that he would not play for Twin City for the following season. And a uh, twin city cut him. Um, <laughs> yep. So it yep. is uh it is a proposal that does have actual ramifications for your roster, unless you're the New York Kings who, um, and I can't remember why we decided this. I'm sure it made sense, but yeah, just um, for fun, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is immune to player strikes so they can continue to be as dickish as they would like to be yeah. towards, uh, towards personnel. But um yeah, so it's uh, it's something to consider. We will try and publish the list of uh, each team's union members. It's something that we've maintained, and uh, we'll we'll try and add to organically ahead of Sunday's meetings, so that people have a sense of what's at stake in uh, in their vote as they weigh whether to go. Um, or against
1: yeah well and i think just to be fair um we will publish the list of union players at the vote and if we don't have a chance to update it by then then those players won't be uh but be accounted for in the strike um not yeah. trying to dupe anybody uh but it is there yeah. are still some pretty good union players including some very good richmond <laughs> players who are uh, who are members of the union so um that drives a lot of uh richmond's uh decision making but um
0: uh, and, and uh, kowtowing to the union that's right and yeah never, never thought i'd see the day <laughs>
1: yeah well you know brooklyn's voted fairly progressively as well over the years so um
0: well that's just because barclay didn't know what he was doing i think it was a situation <laughs> where the old man didn't know where he was or what what the brooklyn whales were yeah and he was just signing what was put in front of him so. <laughs> yeah um something
1: i do want to note as well um the um when it when it comes to the the vote and uh and the commissioner and the types of proposals the commissioner is gonna put on the table with the backing of the union, it's important to remember that the GMs elected this guy. Um and there was a very fair warning of the, the three candidates for commissioner uh when, when Madigan died, uh the last commissioner Uh, They all had their campaign promises, and Parker's was very progressive and said he was going to legitimize the union, which had had not been recognized by the league before him, and that he was going to push for higher salaries. So this is no surprise, and it's likely that this guy is not done. But in a way, uh, you know, the league kind of asked for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this was the decision that people made. Like you said, there was fair warning i'm a little reticent to see what comes i know that uh you know this is an individual trying to clean up the image of the league trying to make it a place where you know players are professionalized and earn their fair salaries for their their labor and uh you know it's a departure from where we've been for the last 11 years and so uh we'll see i'm uh i'm hesitant
1: (laughs) yep uh agreed um so, we, we talked about the second proposal. We talked about subsequent uh, strikes and the union, uh, which leaves, I believe, uh, the draft lottery proposal.
0: Yeah, this, I think, um, you know, it's obviously been somewhat controversial on the um, Slack. I think there's been a lot of great discussion, mm-hmm. a lot of good perspectives. Um, I think that most would agree. I don't know, maybe not most. Certainly, I've been the most vocal opponent of the current draft system, um, where we've got a weighted average of um, the last three years' records. I think, from an incentive standpoint, it creates the opposite of what its intended effect was uh, as of the time of proposal, which was an anti-tanking Proposal. Um, I think it actually sort of creates a supercharged incentive to to tank, since your um, record will stick with you for the next three years. And so, um, the proposal comes out of trying to rationalize uh, the current system into into something that um, sort of divorces your um, current season record or your um, <laughs> your lack of performance from your immediate reward with a, a high draft pick to try and encourage people to um, not totally abandon current value on their rosters, right? The um, the downside of tanking is it creates a race to the bottom, right? Where people are trying to be the worst team so that they get the the highest rewards. And this is um, a new mechanism in OOTP 23, the lottery system that we can, just rely on the game to run for us. And, um, you know, that way there's no question of bias or manipulation in any way. The game just spits out what the draft order is. And, uh, you know, it's administratively easy. And I think it creates the right incentives um, among GMs personally. So um, that's kind of my, my high-level spiel. I've got, obviously, a lot <laughs> a lot more opinions about this one. Yeah. But I've, uh, I think I've given my thoughts in fairly extensive detail on the slack um but i'm also happy to answer any questions that you have or if anyone listening has further questions about my perspective certainly feel free to either um send me a private message or um just shoot another question into the uh the proposal channel
1: you're you're right uh that a lot of ink has been spilled on the forum about it and i think it's good i think it's a good thing you know it's it's been a good discussion people are passionate um and um, it really gets down to what your philosophy on on what the reward uh, for losing should be in an unfair game and uh, there are a lot of ways in which teams who are trying to get better are limited especially in the reserve clause era with no um, free agency Um, and i think it it really polarizes well really it it, uh it it heightens the risk versus reward and and something i want to uh, make clear as well is is not every game, not, not every out-of-the-park online league is like Legacy, where it's it's fairly slow, it's very much creative, and there's a lot of observation, and you have time to consider things. A lot of leagues are very fast-paced, a lot of leagues sim more often and for longer, and in those types of leagues, um, the opportunity to tank in order to build a, a very strong uh, farm is is a lot easier to do and is common. And so a lot of people, a lot of GMs who have been around have scar tissue about uh, tanking. My perspective in the LBL, we're going to know if somebody's uh, tanking egregiously, and it violates our common sense clause. Um, if you, it'll, It will be very clear if you just want to perform poorly on the field in order to gain draft picks, and you'll be dealt with. So I'm not too concerned about that. But, but what I do think is important to understand is there's a big spectrum between um uh tanking intentionally just for the draft pick uh and being okay with not performing well and not taking those steps to improve because you know you'll be rewarded with a pretty good draft pick in the end and that's a mentality i don't appreciate certainly not as a team that's just out of the playoffs every single year um uh, but also i don't think you should be entitled uh, to a good or, or number one pick just because you perform the worst. I think that's a little too simplistic. So that's, that's just my thought on it. And plus it's fun. Lotteries are fun and they're engaging and I think it makes it more interesting.
0: Yeah. I, um, I've got the problem of disease lawyer brain and particularly as a securities lawyer, a lot of what I do is try and think through incentives, right? Mm-hmm. You try and think through, okay, well, how do we align what the end goal is with the system that we put in place? And so to me, I think that the lottery system, if we do go down that road where we've got equal weighted chance for you know the bottom teams to get the first-round pick, it's not like the fourth-worst team is substantially w- better than the worst team. Yeah, And uh, I think it creates the right incentives where bad teams are getting good picks, most likely, right? The math is on their side in that regard. But it doesn't guarantee any particular outcome for any particular team. And so, like you mentioned, there's never the never the situation where, okay, well, I could get a little bit better, but that's not in my best interest because I'm trying to get the number one pick or I, I could move me down the, the draft order here if uh, the best you can do is 17.5% or whatever I proposed. Um, for the first pick, then I think that incentive goes away, or disincentive for um, progressing your roster goes away where or at least is mitigated um by eighty three percent or so um so that's uh that's kind of where I come out the um I agree that you know we're likely to see whoever is tanking with plenty of telegraphed evidence i 'm just reticent to create a system where sort of by design, it requires commissioner intervention to, um, try and mitigate sort of the worst impulses of the system as designed. So, you know, a straight win loss draft order creates a clear incentive to be bad. If you're bad, you should get worse unless, uh, you know, you're towards the top of the league. It makes sense to, um, not be particularly competitive. Um, and so as a, um, co-commissioner, if I see someone tanking, well, I can't really fault them for doing it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Clearly what's in their best interest. Um, you know, so I think it, um, creates a situation where, um, it forces confrontation in a extremely gray area, which is when people's feelings get hurt and people leave the league yeah. and names are called and, I uh, just. Uh, I feel like if we could avoid that before it happens, that's uh, a better system to put in place. So that's uh, the other sort of major consideration um, in my in my opinion. That's pro pro lottery.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um, I, I think we're uh, uh, we are certainly allies in our belief that it is a good thing and a healthy thing for a league, um, and not at all a punishment. Um, there, there will be, you know, under a lottery system, there will be some pretty, you know, difficult seasons where a team who performs the worst does not get the best pick, and then it just feels like insult to injury. Um, I would say that 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 happening is is worth the the balancing and the movement off of um, an extreme, you know, what that presents it in a win loss record. And also, I think it's important to understand that the, the the draft, the reward of the first draft pick is is an incentive. Uh, to create competition in an unfair league that is unfair versus financial differences Uh, and those financial differences are not significant in our era so um in my mind a huge reason why you would give the number one uh pick to the on on a simple win-loss record is is kind of thrown out the window um, uh, but in any case, uh, I, I, understand the arguments against it. And I think people kind of misunderstand that even under a lottery system, it's very likely that, that the, the four, uh, lowest win record teams are the ones that are going to get the pick. So anyway, uh, just like the forums, we have, we have spoken a great deal about it and, um, and, uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday.
0: Yeah. Should be interesting.
1: Yeah. So, so that's it for, for votes this year. Not a lot of votes, um, And uh, we'll continue to look at uh, how we insert storyline and changes into uh, the meetings. I don't think it'll be every two seasons forever as we continue to extend the length of the season, Um, but it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to not only to put the the meetings together, but also to administrate the changes that come out of them. And that's the logic behind doing it every two seasons for now. Um, So unless you have any other thoughts. Just just
0: to be clear for the, the new members that maybe there's a few that I think haven't been through a, uh, a meetings yet it's not just a simple vote there's a lot of character text and yeah um, role-playing in your part that goes into it so it's a, a pretty heavy undertaking um and so that's why we opted to make it every other season i mean on top of i think it does provide a little bit of stability where things aren't getting added and removed and added and removed on a um, season-to-season basis um you know so that's yeah. uh some of the background there yeah. And uh, I do have some additional proposals I held them back this year once I <laughs> saw that the lottery was pretty um controversial. So um you know, I've got some ideas on where we can move the league for future votes. So look for that in <laughs> 1909.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I think if GMs are passionate enough about a, a vote proposal, we could consider an early vote, but, um, you're right. The main reason, uh, besides just putting the work into the meetings itself is I, you know, I think both of us, I think the whole board likes to see, um, some time after a change to evaluate the effect on the league file. So, um, 1909 after this one better show up and get your votes in and a reminder if you're not attending to uh please send your vote so they will count um we we learned the hard way that we should not propose amendments live and there will be no amendments it's just a yes or no vote and if you're not there they're not counted unless you submitted them in advance Okay, Um, so that those are all the main things I wanted to talk about. Uh, I think let me look at the time here. We're at about uh, an hour and ten minutes, so uh, a little bit of time left. Is there uh, anything highlight-wise you want to talk about down in the Negro Leagues?
0: Um, There were a couple of interesting storylines that I just kind of observed. So this was the first year for the Northern League within the Negro Leagues. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the league has now expanded to 16 teams so in that regard is a a perfect parallel of the lbl um, which was another one of commissioner parker's uh, proposals was sort of equal treatment for the lnbl Mm -hmm. um you know and within that we had gms choose the teams which is something that we did for the southern league as well and so i think it's a just a nice platform for um, GMs to have some input into kind of the league file and, and make it um, customized to whatever people's preferences are. We've got 24 possible teams. And um, so right now we've got 16 mm-hmm. in there. And uh, you know, over time, we'll probably ask for proposals to change them and um, relocate. But um, given that it was the first year in the North, The interesting storyline, to me, um, sort of baked in as a rivalry between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. The um, Philadelphia Keystones won their division. They had a negative run differential. Um, (laughs) So they were the only team in the playoffs with a negative run differential. Pittsburgh, their fierce rivals were unfortunate in that they were in the same division as the Cincinnati snappers who ended up winning the, um, Negro legacy cup. Um, and, uh, they had the best run differential in the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the Negro leagues. And, uh, so it must've, have, must've have pained them to see their rivals cross town or, uh, cross state, I guess. Um, Advance into the playoffs with an inferior squad so uh, <laughs> yeah. i'm sure they were just furious um and there are some likable personalities on on pittsburgh they've got some great nicknames a fantastic outfield they've got yeah. um zippo hayes <laughs> yeah and uh dragon hooks uh um, yeah and uh dragon put up uh Close to a 200 OPS plus.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, and uh, he's the McKenzie of the Negro Leagues, in my assessment. He's pretty good.
0: Yeah, so um, you know, and Zippo Hayes is no slouch. He can he can man a, a pretty good center field and uh, has a very good bat. So, I think we might see Pittsburgh continue to challenge Cincinnati in their division going forward, but mm-hmm. uh, a tough. Tough season or end of season for Pittsburgh to watch Philadelphia advance while they had to had to stay home.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, I think that's true. I mean Pittsburgh was a great team, and I I enjoyed watching them when I would tune into the Negro Leagues. Um, and you know I, I say things like down in the Negro Leagues, but they're in every way equal to the LBL. They have they're another major league team. They have the same baselines, and so you see a lot of similar stats come out of them. Um, I, I I speaking of the Snappers, um one thing I noticed right off the bat with them is they have by far the most progressive logo in all of professional baseball.
0: They do have they've got a little turtle inside <laughs> a uh, inside a C, but uh it is historically accurate. It is based off of a um Chicago Cubs uniform from the 1900s. So, while it is progressive, it is historically accurate. So, um <laughs> And it's just the, the level of uh, attention to detail that you can expect from your commissioner team here in the LBL.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, one half of it, anyway. Um, <laughs> there there were some good stats this year as the Negro Leagues continued to sort of mature and, and develop. Um, I was looking at some of their pitchers. Um, I'm trying to go back and see who had the most war. I think it was uh, Haymaker Haynes, Um who uh, yeah, who, set a, who was a league leader once again in a bunch of different categories for uh, the Nickajacks this year.
0: Yeah, Nickajacks to the extent that there has been a best team in the legacy uh, Negro League so far. I think it's the team from Chattanooga. They've made the playoffs five times mm-hmm. in six seasons. I don't remember exactly. I think we started in 1900. Um, you know, They've got uh, the star pitcher of the league, Haymaker Haynes, He started in the exhibition against Philadelphia, um, when we did a, uh, interracial, um, championship and, uh, managed to quiet the bats of the Brewers and, uh, you know, the teams in the LNBL have fared no differently against him. You're right. I think he put up 8.8 war this year Mm -hmm. and, um, just continues to strike out batters at an insane pace. Um, you know, the, uh, the other pitching story that I I noticed this year in uh, the LNBL was um, there was a no hitter thrown. Oh, excuse me, a perfect game.
1: Oh wow, I missed the, that
0: from the indie stars, uh, Alfonso Harris. He uh, threw a perfect game against Buffalo. That's actually the um, the second perfect game in LNBL history. <laughs> um, the uh, LBL, I believe, is still waiting on its first. Yeah but um yeah John Evans had uh, had pitched one in 1904 versus St. Louis um but yeah so perfect game this year for Alfonso Harris and um Harris led the Northern League in pitching war so uh you know a, a pretty good squad in Indianapolis as well you know it's interesting cuz we're still trying to get the equilibrium with the new teams in there but i think there's probably four four good ones in the north there's um you know Indianapolis Pittsburgh Cincinnati and um you know it looks like Philadelphia is a, a competent squad although probably one tier down from those other three.
1: Yeah. I was just I uh, I I appreciate that cuz I was completely oblivious to the perfect game uh and I I I've, I've looked at Alfonso Harris before who is sort of a rising star on the stars. Um he's only 27. Um, he, he's a, a hilarious personality, like just like the worst kind of disruptive. His personality literally says drama queen, <laughs> 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 which makes it even Sounds better. Sounds like a star pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely superior movement and a really good sinker. Um, boy, if you can get one pitch to 65 in our league, you're just bound for greatness, no matter what your base ratings are. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I, I uh, I've liked Harris and I, I did not know he threw a perfect game and of course the perfect game before that uh was thrown against the Richmond Black Rifles because that's just the 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 backdrop for Richmond is being on the wrong side of historic moments. Uh so <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yep. The uh you know the only other really big storyline, at least, and and this is a idiosyncratic big storyline for me personally, but the Goobers, <laughs> the Savannah Goobers, yeah, they came in second place this year. Yeah, and uh, it is true that they only had a four thirty three winning percent, but they still came in second place. <laughs> so I think that's a, well it's a moral victory for the Goobers who uh, have mostly. Dwelled in the in the basement of the LNBL standings. In their uh, <laughs> yeah, their existence.
1: Um, I think uh, the only other thing that stood out for me, is, besides what you mentioned, I was I was going to mention the goobers because I know that they're uh, near and dear to your heart. Um, but they've got some speedsters, and uh, in three seasons, a guy named Blue Lundy for the Canaries has already surpassed uh, 300 bases stolen. So he's he's closing in on Griff Givens. Um, but, uh, Griff has also only been here for three years and is absolutely the best base stealer in the game of baseball. Uh, Sinner, uh, given who plays for the Naked Jacks, um, and, uh, had another good season. But th- there are some extremely fast players in the NLBL, so, or LNBL. So, um, I, I thought it's, it was really fun. Um, i it's really hard because i love uh the negro leagues it's fun to watch them and you just look at them and be like man if they had a human gm you know <laughs> these teams like the goobers um but uh for the sake of history we are we are keeping integration as a um uh a destination on the distant horizon
0: yeah yeah and i you know i think it, it's just fun to have another league in the file and i know that you know, not everyone clicks in there with any sort of frequency, but I, I think it's nice to go and get lost in there every once in a while and just dig in. And uh, you know, the nicknames are fantastic in uh, in the LNBL, and I don't know exactly what you did in the <laughs> database to make that so, but uh, there's just some really good ones. There's a guy on uh, Philadelphia whose nickname is Horseface, which I think. Is- <laughs> fantastic
1: it is um it is purely a blessing i don't think there's a delineation in nicknames between the two leagues so um uh, I think we've just been really lucky with the l n b l all
0: right well let's hope our our streak continues then
1: <laughs> um as a quick note uh, segueing from the l n b l um i was uh taking a look at the um the draft class for the coming year i don't really think we need to cover l ball that's just a weird the feeder leagues are just insane um and produce random results but um we had talked a couple of times about this upcoming draft class which i have excused myself from through the form of a big trade <laughs> um, it was very gracious of you what a gentleman <laughs> yes i'm a nice guy um but uh what do you what do you think about this uh upcoming upcoming class
0: it, it looks pretty deep to me, um, you know, just sort of anecdotally or personally, usually my short lists for a, a draft class are in the 40 to 50 range after I go through um, the the draft pool. This one, I've got a little over 100 on my initial short list. So, you know, I know we're talking about expanding the draft, and I think this is a good one to, to do it on just because... You know, there's plenty of talent. I think there's probably enough quality starting pitchers that everyone in the first round could draft a pitcher and come away pretty happy. Yeah. Um, And uh, there's a couple of notable hitters that stood out to me. Um, I'm calling up my short list now so that uh, I can not get anyone's names wrong. Um, Bear with me for one second.
1: Oh, yeah, no worries.
0: So it looks like there is, uh, and I've got a conspiracy theory as well. I feel like people's <laughs> ages <has> changed. <laughs> like all of a sudden I had a bunch of 15-year-olds on my short list, and I don't know why I would have put them on there. So I'm not accusing you of anything, but I've got my tinfoil hat on.
1: Um, yeah, that would be a really um, uh, laborious uh, conspiracy to execute <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not ruling it out. Is all I'm saying. I'm, just, I'm not accusing. Throwing it out
0: there. Stay in the facts. Um, so it looks like uh, to me, the top hitter in the class is probably, you know, subject to change. Uh, Curtis Rose, who's a shortstop, mm-hmm. um, a little over 19 years old. So he'll be on the older side when we finally hit the the draft date. But um, you know, he, he can definitely play shortstop. You know, the arm's a little weak, so maybe he ends up at at second base. But uh, I would think that he could probably stay at shortstop. And uh, the bat is off the charts. He's got 80 contact, 80 avoid K, 70 gap power, good speed. So, you know, I think you're looking at a guy that can do damage, both uh, with extra base hits, probably a lot of triples, um, which are basically home runs in the LBL. And uh, he's going to steal a lot of base as well. Being a, a competent up the middle fielder, so um, that guy stood out to me just as I was going through. And there's a couple of other really good hitters. Um, you know, they might fall to the second round, which would be a steal because these are guys that would ordinarily go in the top half of the first round. So it's uh it's an exciting draft class. Is uh, I think where I'm coming out on this one with uh, probably 20 25 guys that could go in the first round.
1: I think I agree. I think it's going to be really, really fun. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of future first basemen who have
0: really good batting uh,
1: ratings but cannot play defense at all, um, and especially with that being so important in the LBL, it sort of um, extrapolates that issue. Um, there's a lot of folks that I like. There's there's a lot of folks in this class where they're like so close to being the perfect prospect and just missing one thing or the other. Um, uh i think a good example of that is somebody like adrian ives um adrian ives uh has some absolutely amazing um batting ratings he is fast um but his outfield um and well his his whole defensive spread in terms of rating he he could play utility um he's got good range uh but he's just missing a little bit um to to make him that premier batter I think he's still going to go early, and I think he's going to be just fine. Um, but, yeah, it, it, uh, I have not yet finished uh, reviewing and bookmarking this uh, draft class, which I care less about now since I'm not joining you till round four. Um, so
0: Ives is one of the guys who I think initially I thought was in this class, but I think he got bumped to like 19... He oh, did. Nine. He
1: did. Okay, here's what happened. I okay, I'm glad you pointed this out. The draft class setting on uh the rookie draft page is not accurate. Um Okay. So if you go to the 1906 draft or 1907 draft pool, Ives is going to pop up on it. Um let me go to all batters here. Um but when you when you actually look at him, he's 1909. So we, i think we solved the mystery right there
0: okay all right well you're, you've wriggled your way off the now, but i'm not willing to let you uh fully go get out of this one so uh yeah the uh, the
1: investigation is ongoing uh, we, yeah
0: <laughs> look okay that makes more sense i'm like uh, why would i put a 15 year old with a 1909 path <laughs> class on my shortlist now, now yeah it makes a lot more sense but yeah no i I agree with you. He looks like when he finally comes into the league, he's going to immediately set it on fire. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just um, don't don't play him in center field. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So I, I, it is definitely dynamic, um, which is hilarious considering that our draft pool vanished at the end of the last season, uh, and we had to fabricate one. um (laughs) but uh i'm glad that it's come back with a vengeance now we'll see once we we sort for the actual draft class in 1907 if it still has that uh, depth to it but it's confusing out of the park is confusing it doesn't fully understand feeder leagues um so and i recall even in piba if you just do a straight pull from the draft pool it doesn't turn out accurate you have to go in and filter uh, by age so um anyway uh, <laughs> a real-time discovery of a flaw for the podcast yeah
0: there we go we can we can <laughs> scrub that right, <laughs> yeah, we can get that right. <laughs> yeah definitely editing this out
1: um it, it, i i think uh, we can conclude here with a couple of your thoughts not a full projection i think we can probably do that later but just uh some some thoughts on the the season to come in 1907
0: yeah it's been an interesting off season so far. There's been some big changes right particularly with your squad, which I would be interested in in hearing your thoughts on mm. um you know in very in you know a lot of ways it's still unsettled. we've got uh still some good free agents out there that could uh could alter the landscape of some of the divisions, which are pretty tight um so I'll reserve some of my thoughts but um you know I think. In the Eastern League, you've made some great moves. Uh, I think you've shored up some weaknesses in your infield with the signing of Ford, and I think Tennessee Mears from Pittsburgh is going to make your lineup a lot more formidable, uh, and your pitching is always good. So I could see you challenging Philadelphia, whose pitching staff is going to get a year older, and I don't see, unless they swing a big trade, uh, a lot of reinforcements coming in the short term, to their their rotation, so I think that one could be an interesting battle in the uh, in the Liberty, and you know you got to keep an eye on the rising Bakers with Batkin, but I still see that as primarily a two horse race. I think uh, the Bakers are still maybe two or three seasons away. Um, you know, in the Ivy division, I feel pretty confident with where my team is. Um, I didn't feel the need to do a lot of tinkering this off season we did sign one of the older free agents who i'm expecting will immediately tank on april 1st but um <laughs> yeah. does gi- does give a a little bit of a fortification to um to the lineup in one of the corner outfield spots which is uh probably the weakest part of the roster at the moment so i feel pretty good about where the whales are i'm hoping for another division title in 1907 although boston had a great year last year and you know will be bringing the same Same roster into 1907, and I think the Kings are good. Um, They've got a lot of young talent just emerging into the into the LBL. So
1: yeah, a good new um, GM as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. So they'll be a team to watch. I think in 1907 as well in the Western League. uh, I'm not going to root against or not going to pick against Twin City since (laughs) they've won that. They've won the Western League like six times now. Um, Yeah. So I think I'll just continue to pick them until proven otherwise. Uh, And then I think the Frontier League is going to be a bloodbath. I think Cleveland is well-positioned. Obviously, they were the um, crown jewel in the Western League last year. But, um, you know, I think the Oilers are getting better. Uh, I think that St. Louis has a good team. Um, Both St. Louis squads do. The Beavers underperformed a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, I would probably expect the – reds to make some moves as the off season winds down with some of the remaining free agents. So I think, uh, you know, particularly with the remaining free agent catchers, I think there's a couple of good ones that could make their team a lot better. Um, so, you know, I think that one's going to be tight. I think the athletics will probably emerge again, but I would expect a finish kind of like what year was it? 1902 where there was a three or four game spread from <laughs> top to bottom. Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty close this year as well.
1: Yeah, I, I I appreciate the summary. I, I have very similar thoughts. Um, I think the Doves might uh, give Twin Cities another run for their money, but Twin Cities is is still pretty well positioned. And I think that Philly, like you said, it'll depend on their pitching. That Philly's pitchers have an annoying habit of being really good when they shouldn't, um, and uh, it, that'll all depend on that. I think that matters even more than Leo coming back. Um, and Leo is is continuing to get older. He's not showing any signs in his scouting right now. Um, and like you said, uh, the the Baker's train behind back in is uh, it's always intimidating. It's been getting a little more concerning every year. Um, and we'll just have to see. Um, so uh, I would agree with you that I think Brooklyn easily claims the Ivy crown. Uh, I think Boston had a very commendable season, and there's going to be more Losses dragged across the Eastern League with a smart GM behind the Kings now, so um, we'll have to see. I'm excited. I'll, I'll save my uh, my projections uh, for a little closer to the start of the season.
0: Well, why don't you uh, why don't you talk through some of the changes that have happened in Richmond already? What was your strategy going into the offseason? and uh, do you feel like you're you've hit your hit your mark? What uh What are your thoughts?
1: Well, thanks for asking. I think uh we have been very aggressive this offseason. Obviously not satisfied with finishing 11 games behind Philly. Um we w- Richmond this year had an excess in pitching thanks to signing the signing of Chester Jacks who did great this year. Um and we continue to have an abysmal problem at defense now part of that was uh, made worse by one the injury of scud scranton who was meant to help shore that defense up and two the real defensive underperformance of john noden who should have done at least decent at shortstop and did really bad that was kind of our our utility back up to that situation so um defense up the middle um i i think um the big strategy for us we wanted to either move Scranton to center field or find a, a plausible center fielder that wasn't Robbie Salmon, um, who I love as a, uh, you know, sentimental member of the league, but I do not love in my center field anymore and batting on my team. So, <laughs> um, yeah, fair. yeah uh, so that was priority number one was center field. Um, number two was third base. And then uh, the mark we haven't hit and we have conceded on in order to make sure that we signed Ford. Is corner outfield, um, which is you know not abysmal, just a little too error air um, heavy. So uh, it's been good so far um, for Richmond. I don't suspect we'll be making a lot more moves. And Richmond, they only make moves in one way, and that is uh, train through the wall type of moves. We don't do anything small in uh, at Libby Hill. So um, the mirrors trade, I think, was was really fun. I talked with Michael for a long time on it. We went way down the rabbit hole. Um, But we we wanted to improve our offense. We wanted a better center fielder. I don't think he's going to stay in center. Uh, He's feasible for now. He's serviceable. Uh, Just his range is a little low. But a welcome addition to the team, and I think we we should have no excuse to not have some serious increase in offensive production next year.
0: I think that all seems right. I would like to personally thank you for skewing the trade market such that uh, now no one will trade anyone for less than – (laughs) <laughs> their first three draft picks. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a king's ransom, for sure.
0: Yeah, but I think, like you said, uh, you set out with a, a goal on where you wanted your roster to be. I think Ford's going to be pretty big for you mm-hmm. at third base. Last year, you had an unfortunate retirement in Matt Dace, who ran for Senate. I don't know if he won. I don't know if you've got any updates. Oh, uh, there's
1: no way Monroe is. let that asshole win after leaving our team. There's no way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so you had a hole in third base last year, and uh is his name Ryan Evans um, yeah mm-hmm. he played pretty well for you, but he's also thirty seven and yeah. uh, was definitely not a long term answer so I think he did well in getting forward he was he was the youngest of the free agents at twenty five mm-hmm. um so you know i uh I think you've executed pretty well pretty well this off season. I'm a little jealous.
1: <laughs> well, well, you know, I guess you just have to fall back on your safety net of uh, of terrifying uh, offense and pitching.
0: So, um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, don't don't get me wrong, really tonight, but uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, hey, we're split
1: on the all time record between
0: our two franchises, so uh, we're coming. For That's you. true. Do we want to make a bet here on the podcast as to who ends up ahead well, after 1907?
1: Uh, well, what are the terms?
0: Uh, well, apparently you're giving up draft picks. That's like crazy. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> okay.
1: No, I think it's uh, – I think I've been meaning to start this tradition for a while. I think I'm going to uh, make a another legacy baseball mug, and maybe with uh, Richmond on one side and, and Brooklyn on the other. Um, and whoever's ahead at the end of – like every season or every other season, I'll ship it to, to you probably because I think I'm going to fall behind. But something like that I think would be cool.
0: All right now that sounds sounds good to me
1: okay yeah i i uh officially i am so confident uh that we are going to destroy brooklyn this season that i know i'll save in the shipping costs so um, oh
0: yeah no that's great you can just make it made with just a richmond logo <laughs> <I guess>. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah no I, and then I, you know well I, I think that's perfect well we'll notch the uh who, who comes out on top so um uh, I think it'll probably collect dust on your side of the pond for a while, but... Um...
0: <laughs> I've got a, ni- a nice place for it, out of the way, down in the basement, in a, in a box. You just let me know when you pass me.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, well, we're at about an hour 40. Um, I think this has been great. I think it's a, a nice way to cap off uh, the 1906 season as a farewell. Um, Brendan, any closing remarks?
0: Closing remarks? Ah. Uh no I, I just again want to say thank you to you for uh running the league and um you know for really making this thing happen i think it's uh it's been a fantastic experience for me over the last couple of years i think we're um we've got a great group that's pretty stable and uh, we're one away from filling it so that's i guess for personal goals for 1907 i'd like to see the angels get a uh, a new gm and uh you know, have us full for uh, a decent amount of time.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, this league is a, uh, is a rare pleasure. It's always fun to, to look forward to coming home and, and taking a look at the LBL. It's a special league with some really special GMs and a great community. So um happy to see another season pass away. Um and absolutely, we need to fill Providence. This league can go more than two weeks at full. I believe we can do it. <laughs>
0: uh, is that our record? Two weeks? It I, feels it's like, like two uh... or three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um, we we filled the King slot three times in a row, but finally, finally got somebody who actually, uh, you know, downloaded the league file. So, um... <laughs> so I'm I, I'm also, I'm on the crusade. Um, so, Brennan, thanks, thanks so much for talking LBL again. Um, And uh, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we uh, look forward to some meetings on Sunday.
0: Take care. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Andrew.
1: Yep. Bye bye.